We are turning our attention to the book of Colossians on Walk in Truth. So glad you're with us today. This book is really all about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that he is God and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll look at the hope laid up for you in heaven. And it's today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, in the book of Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, seven churches are addressed, one of which is Laodicea. Laodicea was known as, do you remember Bible students? The lukewarm church. They're known as lukewarm Laodicea. And when Jesus addresses these churches in Revelation 2 and 3 through John, he addresses kind of the geography of the land and ties it to the behavior patterns of these churches. Now, Laodicea was lukewarm. They had to pipe in water through kind of a stone piping system. And by the time the water got to them, it was tepid. And Jesus said, you are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm, and I'm about to what? Spit you out of my mouth. It was a warning. I don't think it meant that the lukewarm Laodicean church was beyond repair, but I think it was a warning that Jesus was trying to, he said, I wish you were either hot or cold. Now, in the triad of cities, one of the cities about 12 miles to the north was Colossae. Colossae was at the base of Mount Cadmus, and Colossae was known for these cold waters that ran down through it. So when, I, when Jesus says, I wish that you were either cold or hot, he's probably referring to the cold waters of Colossae, cold, refreshing on a hot day. Heropolis was known for hot springs. There were these hot springs, people would come from all different regions, and they would come into these hot springs, and if you've ever been in a jacuzzi or hot springs, oh, ho, 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 you know how good it feels on your body. It can be very medicinal. Uh, you can sit in the jacuzzi with the jet hitting your bag, oh, yeah, right? Hot springs can be good. They're medicinal, cold water, refreshing. But Laodicea was lukewarm. And this, these were the three cities around there. And Colossae was also known for, there were these incrustations that came. There was chalky water. And sometimes they formed almost like stone uh, shrouds over certain er, uh, areas of the land. But it was known for wool. And there, there would be sheep and shepherds out there and pasture land. And there was a whole uh, thriving wool industry. And Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Colossae would now be located in the western part of Turkey. So Asia Minor, what we know and we hear about Asia Minor in the Bible, was considered proconsular Asia Minor. You say, what does that mean? It means that that's what the Romans called the area. It's not the Asia that we know. Asia Minor was an area of now considered modern-day Turkey, and there was something like, you know, if you add in Colossae and other churches, there are something like 10 churches in this area. Those churches are not there anymore. But when they were addressed, they were obviously uh, vital churches of the day. Uh, Colossae was about 100 miles from Ephesus, and this is the church that Paul addresses. How was the church planted, you might ask? Well, it appears that as Paul did a three-year ministry in Ephesus, he was there, Acts chapter 19 records this, and he he taught for uh, two years in the school of Tyrannus. So Paul was in Ephesus. He kind of set up shop, almost did like a miniature Bible college. People were getting saved, and they were being discipled in this Bible college. And as they went out from the school, 
school of Tyrannus having been taught by the Apostle Paul, they were going back to their home regions. A man named Epaphras went back to the area of Colossae, this is what we surmise from the evidence we have, and began to share the gospel with people. And it looks like he became the pastor of this church, his name is Epaphras. So Epaphras at some point goes to the Apostle Paul, probably, not probably, in his Roman imprisonment, and he begins to share information about how the Colossian church is doing. Warren Wiersbe writes of the Colossian church that all kinds of philosophies uh, mingled in this cosmopolitan area because there was an east-west trade route right where Colossae was. Religious hucksters abounded in the area. There was also a Jewish colony in Colossae, and there was a constant influx of new ideas and doctrines from the East. It was fertile ground for religious speculations and heresies. This uh, area was also known for major earthquakes. In fact, around the time that Paul wrote, around AD 60 or 61, there was a major earthquake in this area. Laodicea was able to rebuild without Roman help or money, but the area got devastated time and time again by earthquakes. One of the, the things that scholars will see as you read on, they will say as uh, you read introductions about the Colossian letter is there was something called the Colossian heresy. And it had these weird combinations of Jewish mysticism and Greek philosophy and dualism and it came out in different teachings that they taught. Here's an example. They apparently were telling people you've gotta be circumcised to be saved. Look at Colossians 2 verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised, Colossians 2.11, with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This was a largely Gentile church, but as happened in the Galatian letter, there were Jewish Christians going in there, or apparently well-meaning, and they were saying you have to be circumcised to be saved, even as a Gentile. And Paul was saying, no. The circumcision that you experienced was a circumcision without hands. It was a spiritual one, not a physical one. We are the true circumcision who are circumcised and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can read Philippians 3, 2, and 3. If you skip ahead for a second to verse 16, there are people judging one another and it seems to have a Jewish bent to it. Uh, 2.16, therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Seems to have a kosher aspect in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. There were people who were judging one another and apparently saying you can't be close to God unless you honor the festivals and unless you honor the new moons, unless you keep certain dietary laws. And Paul says don't let anybody judge you that way. If you're a Gentile believer, a non-Jewish believer, Christ is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ is sufficient, that his payment made in the cross has made you complete and full in Christ? That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what Paul was having to deal with as he addressed this Colossian heresy. Uh, Another thing that they taught in this Colossian heresy is they began to demote Christ because they said uh, God, uh, they believed, this this was a Greek thought and it came really all the way back from Socrates. They believed that all matter was evil. 
This, this was their conclusion. So they said that God could not have made the physical world because all matter is evil and God couldn't touch that stuff. So what they taught was a series of intermediaries between God and the last God. And what they called these is emanations from God. So they said there's the ultimate God out there somewhere and emanations that flow down from him, almost like a ladder of smaller gods. And the, so they said that the true God can't touch matter. Matter is evil. We'll get to that in a second. So there must be in between lesser gods that go down a list and they go down and they're so far away from God that finally one of those lesser gods made the world and everything in it. Well, Paul debunks that in Colossians 1.16. Take a look. It says, for by Christ, by him, Christ is the subject. How many things were created? All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things. Here's his supremacy, one of the themes of the book. And in him, all things do what? Hold together. Not only did Jesus make the universe, he holds it together. And he holds me together. And all God's people said, oh, to be in Christ, to have his power manifest in a human life is one of the great privileges for humanity. And Jesus Christ is the creator. There's no series of emanations or lesser gods. There's only one true God. God says, I know of no other gods. There were no gods formed before me or after me. I am it. Cornered the market on deity, baby. I added the baby. That's the deal. This is Jesus Christ, creator and sustainer of the universe. And this Jesus is the one who became human and died on the cross. Look at chapter 1, verse 22. And he, Jesus, has now reconciled you, Christian, in his, what? Fleshly body. Now, there are... The Gnostics, this, this, this heresy, this Colossian heresy that scholars call it, took on forms of what's called Gnosticism. You say, what's Gnosticism, Pastor Michael? All these big words. The Gnostics come from a Greek word called gnosis or gnosis. It simply means to know. They were the people in the know. So they had secret handshakes and passwords and even underpants. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's true of modern cults. You have to wear the right undergarments to be in the club. I'm not joking. And you have to know the passwords and the phrases and the way to climb the ladder to this God because you must achieve your way through all these lesser gods and intermediaries. But the Bible says through Paul, there is one God and one Mediator between man and God. There's not a series. There's not a ladder. There's one. One go-between. Aren't you glad? Praise God. And so, but the, the Colossian heresy said, oh no, matter's evil, so there can't be an incarnation. God could not have become human. In fact, we don't even believe God made the world. So they denied what we call the incarnation, that Jesus was incarnate. What's that mean? That he became flesh. And the Gnostics taught that Jesus was a phantom. He looked physical, but he really wasn't physical. He just appeared that way. And in the Gnostic romance books, they said when Jesus walked, he didn't leave footprints. He was just a phantom of some sort. That's a lie. He was born in Bethlehem, fully human, right? 
perfect, but in a human body. That shows you that not all matter is evil. Jesus Christ is God and became flesh, God with us, amen? Amen. So here's what Paul's dealing with, a heresy that denies uh, the incarnation and denies that God is the creator or that Jesus is the creator. They said all matter is evil. But remember when God made the world and everything in it, in the book of Genesis, what did he say? He made something and he said it is, what? He didn't say it's evil, he said what? It is good, it is good, it is good. The one time he said it's not. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first, What are you wrestling with in your life? In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's no secret the Christian life is difficult, but you can take comfort in knowing you are not alone. In Pastor Michael Lance's book, Suit Up, he shows you a revealing look at God's armor and how the Lord will equip you to face the world. You'll learn about the nature of the battle, who the real enemy is, and God's provision to be victorious. Learn about how each piece equips you for spiritual battle when you get your copy of Suit Up today on walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. There's one God and one mediator between man and God. There's not a series. There's not a ladder. There's one, one go-between. Aren't you glad? Praise God. And so, but the, the Colossian heresy said, oh no, matter's evil, so there can't be an incarnation. God could not have become human. In fact, we don't even believe God made the world. So they denied what we call the incarnation, that Jesus was incarnate. What's that mean? That he became flesh. And the Gnostics taught that Jesus was a phantom. He looked physical, but he really wasn't physical. He just appeared that way. And in the Gnostic romance books, they said when Jesus walked, he didn't leave footprints. He was just a phantom of some sort. That's a lie. He was born in Bethlehem, fully human, right? Perfect, but in a human body. That shows you that not all matter is evil. Jesus Christ is God and became flesh, God with us, amen? So here's what Paul's dealing with, a heresy that denies uh, the incarnation and denies that God is the creator or that Jesus is the creator. They said all matter is evil. But remember when God made the world and everything in it, in the book of Genesis, what did he say? He made something and he said it is, what? He didn't say it's evil, he said what? It is good, it is good, it is good. The one time he said it's not good is it's not good for man to what? To be alone. But he said it's good and Adam himself was made out of what? The dust of the ground, out of matter. And God breathed into Adam the breath of life. And Adam was a perfect being before the fall. Not all matter is evil. That's ridiculous. But some of the people in the church picking up Greek ideas from Greek philosophy and what's called Greek dualism began to deny the biblical accounts and the identity of Jesus. And this still happens today. People get an idea. They presuppose the idea. They, it's called a presuppositional viewpoint. They, they put it on the text and let it, instead of letting the text dictate what's true, they presuppose an idea and say, well, that doesn't square up with this. And they become the judge of the Bible rather than the word of God. Of God becoming the judge of all truth and ideas. Amen? Amen. 
So this is what happens. This is what Paul is dealing with. And so here's how people responded. They imbibed or embraced this idea that all matter is evil, and there were two uh, uh, responses in the way people lived. The first response it was called asceticism. Sorry for all the big words. But asceticism meant that I'm going to beat up my body I'm going to beat it into submission because all matter is evil. So what I have to do is really, I have to abuse myself, abuse my body. And there were, in the ancient world, there were literally these people called flagellists. The flagellum was the Roman whip that had the bone and, and so forth on it, and that's what they whipped Jesus with. And they would walk around, get this, they were also known as monastics, and some monks did this, and they would walk around and they would whip themselves. How you doing, Fred? Hold on a minute. Shh, 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 shh. Better now, man. They would walk around whipping themselves, abusing their bodies. And some of the well-meaning, even uh, early members of the church took this to such an extent that when they felt like they were being tempted, sometimes they would just dive into a thorn bush. I'm feeling temptation right now. Hold on a minute. I'll see you guys in a few. Oh, oh. And, and now in other religious movements, there are people in certain religious movements in the East that sleep on a bed of nails. There are people who do pilgrimages on their knees until their knees bleed. They will, and, and why do they do this? Because they're trying to appease the God. Look how sincere I am. You're like, really? Now check this out. Here's where Paul says in Colossians 2, look at verse 20. These people say things like this. Do not handle, two, I'm sorry, 2.21. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are what? Of no value against fleshly indulgence. You know, people in the early church took this so far that some people emasculated themselves in the early church, thinking that that would help them avoid temptation. Some people went and lived in a monastery, but all of this, forgetting what the central problem is. The central problem is right here, folks. It's the heart. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things or desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not severe treatment of your body that's going to get you right with God. It's that you are born again, amen, to a living hope. You must experience the power and the grace of God to be saved. You don't need to just be band-aided. You need to be renovated. You need to be regenerated of the Holy Spirit. Now, the opposite side of this was people responded, well, you know what, if all matter is evil and the body's wicked and it's unredeemable, then the flip side, the, the opposite pole was what's called antinomianism. So here's, there's another one, Pastor Michael. Antinomianism is simply this, no, namas in Greek means law, anti means no. So they said no law. So here's the deal. If the body's unredeemable and all matters evil anyway, then guess what we're going to do? We're going to do whatever we want with our bodies because all that really matters is our spirit. 
And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul addressed a group of people apparently still messing with prostitutes as Christians, justifying their behavior. And Paul said, don't you know, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. You've been bought with a price, therefore do what? Glorify God in your body. Your body does matter. This went so far with these people who had this strange view from the Greek uh, 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 dualists and so forth philosophers. It went so far that they began to deny the material nature of the resurrection body. They said Christ, all matters evil, so Christ didn't have a body, therefore he couldn't have raised in a physical body. They denied the physical resurrection of Christ. And many even modern cults and religions teach that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was in some sort of spirit form, but it wasn't a physical resurrection. And Jesus debunks that in Luke 24 when he says, hey, got anything to eat? And they had a piece of broiled fish and some versions say a honeycomb, and he ate it in their presence. Aren't you glad in the resurrection we're going to eat? Oh, it makes me so happy. So here's the deal. 1 Corinthians 15 was written to a group of people denying the resurrection, and all matter cannot be evil because you and I are going to live forever in resurrection bodies that are going to be physical. How could all matter be evil if we're going to spend eternity in resurrection bodies in a new Jerusalem with a resurrected Christ? All matter cannot be evil. And so what, what you see is in the Colossian her heresy a thread of teaching that permeated seemingly every area of this church. And when you get one idea wrong, when your theology is wrong, it can cause you to live the wrong way in a lot of areas. So there's certain people who have beliefs about the afterlife and they believe they have to earn their way or they have to beat their body into submission or it really doesn't matter what they do. And so your belief system does affect how you live. Your doctrine affects how you live out your belief system. That's why when you read stuff like this in the New Testament, don't be shocked that people are called out and corrected. The reason is, is because this is hugely important. What you believe matters because you're gonna live it out in your life, right? All right, all of that is introduction. How do you like that? Now, with very limited time, we're going to tackle the first eight verses. Uh, I guess you could sum up the Colossian heresy. Some people believe it was one system with, the, with a word called syncretism. They were trying to kind of amalgamate multiple belief systems into one, and the closest thing that we have to it today is the modern New Age movement. The modern New Age movement says you can take a little bit from Christianity, a little bit from Hinduism, a little bit from Buddhism, a little bit from this, and a little bit from that, and it doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. The highest belief in many circles today is sincerity. Are you sincere about what you believe? If, if, you're, if that's true for you, it must be true. No, truth is not determined by how you feel, right? All right, let's go into verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Just quickly, Paul's the author of the letter. Timothy's with him, not the co-author. Timothy, our brother. Paul called him my son. Now he says, Timothy, our brother. It reminds us that as Christians, we are family. This is a family of God. It's not always easy to love family. 
Amen? <laughs> we're all different. We have different perspectives and stuff, but we're called to love each other. That's what the church is. It's a family under the headship of Christ. Some people believe that uh, Timothy is acting as Paul's secretary, writing the letter for him as he speaks it out because Paul had potentially some problems with his eyesight and so forth. The church is not a kind of abstract entity. It's not a building. It's the men and women and children of God. You are the church. No matter where we met today, this would be church because you're the church. Verse two, he writes to the saints and faithful brethren. The church is saints. The word saint in Haggia is Haggias in Greek and it means sacred. Saints are sacred, holy, pure, set apart exclusively for God. That's what you are, you're a saint. Now I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic Church, uh, they have a process by which they saint people. You have to do a miracle and do other certain works but in the New Testament, you're a saint simply by your belief in Christ and that you're born again and part of his family. That's what makes you a saint and as J. Vernon McGee used to say, you're either a saint or an ain't. There's no other categories. That's it. We're sitting at a Bible study some years ago with a wonderful Italian a Roman Catholic man who uh, was part of the Christian church and so forth, but he had a lot of Roman Catholic history. And I was teaching on this. It was early in the morning, early 6 a.m. Bible study. Some people were taking coffee intravenously. It was just an ugly scene, drool and stuff. And it wasn't pretty. But anyway, I was teaching through this, and I said, all of you at the table, if you believe in Christ, you're a saint. And uh, this Italian brother of ours looked around, and he goes, I just know one thing. Ain't none of you saints. <laughs> Well, I'm sure that we can all understand what our friend meant at that Bible study. But we also need to understand what the Bible says about our identity in Christ, that we are saints because of who we are in Him. Well, listening family, I'd like to remind you that Walk in Truth is a ministry that's supported by many precious saints, and we deeply appreciate your partnership. And we would like to see this ministry grow into more radio markets across the nation so more people can hear the truth as you are. Of course, we need funds to pay for those stations, so your partnership would be deeply and greatly appreciated. If you can visit walkintruth.com and subscribe to become a monthly partner, giving at least $20 a month will send you a thank you gift in return with resources to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ and study of the Word of God. So check it out, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thank you for your partnership and tune in next time to hear the conclusion of The Hope Laid Up For You in Heaven. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.